Hey, Katie, I, I know we said we'd exchange gifts, but I can't find the right thing for you. Oh, don't worry, Zell. I actually had some trouble finding the right thing for you, too. Okay, good. It's the thought that counts anyway, right? Oh, totally. Out of curiosity, what would you have gotten me? Well, it was a little ambitious, but I wanted to get you a future in America where your fundamental rights as a woman weren't trampled on by a tyrannical and inexperienced, egomaniacal president. What were you going to get me? Oh, voodoo dolls of the chain smokers. Ooh, do you think we could find those on Etsy? Probably more easily than what you were going to get me. Mm, all right, let's just start the show. Hello and welcome to the final Don't Kill the Vibe of 2016. I'm Katie Bain. And I'm Zell McCarthy. Tonight in the studio, we're joined by Kira Judah of V Moda, here to talk with us about why why what we listen to with matters. You know, it's not just about shoving something in your ears. Quality counts. We'll also hear from journalist Jamal Kawaja as well as DJ Eric Sharp. Crystal Rodriguez is also here to talk about some of the year-end best of lists, including Resident Advisor's much-discussed annual poll. Plus, we run down the highlights of the Grammy no- nominations like Bob Moses, Tycho, and Skrillex, as well as a few as a few head scratchers. Yeah, more than a few. But we start tonight with the devastating news out of Oakland. Oakland, yeah. So as most of you know by now, last Friday, December 2nd, shortly after 11 p.m., a fire broke out in a warehouse party in Oakland at a space known as the Ghost Ship. After several days of searching for those hoped on, hoped to be only missing, 36 people are now confirmed dead. And before the ashes had even cooled, the fire became national headlines with coverage leading mainstream news and programs and taking above the fold space for several days as the survivors were left to explain what this community of artists was amid their loss and grief. And the fervor of media attention really reached a zenith on the Today Show on Tuesday when Matt Lauer and Tamron Hall pressed ghost ship Derek Almena on who he thought was responsible and how the fire started. And let's just say it did not go well. So we're going to discuss the impact and the meaning of the ghost ship fire, including the controversies and the contention with our panelists later in the show. But Crystal Rodriguez joins us right now to talk about a piece she wrote for Billboard this week with information about how people are going to party, parties like this and how they can keep themselves safe. Not right now. Later in the show. I, I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that there are the right words for anyone to say about this. It's really horrific. Um, and uh, I, we're still trying to, obviously, investigators are still trying to figure out what caused the fire. Um, they've just... Um, been going through the the ashes and the debris left behind, um, but it's certainly a situation many of us could imagine happening as we've been to warehouse parties or events in spaces that aren't necessarily regulated. Totally, yeah. I had some friends of friends who were there. Was, uh, you know, the only word that people can really use to describe it is a nightmare. It's yeah. a total nightmare. Um, it would be good to get some tips uh, on how to stay safe. Crystal, um, you spoke with a few organizations in the last few days uh, who are experts in this kind of thing. Um, what did they have to tell you, and what can you share with us from what you learned? Well, I, I spoke with someone from the Event Safety Alliance, which is dedicated to life safety. And um, some of the tips that, they had, that he had to offer were, you know, just a lot of stuff that we might take for granted as common sense, things like, you know, designating a meeting space beforehand, um, knowing your exit plan, and practicing situational awareness, just things like looking around. And also some things that people might not really think to, to you know, look out for when they enter a club. As, as he mentioned, 
people when people are going out, they kind of put that out of their minds. Um, right. And they, they trust that the people who are putting on the event have already covered all the bases, so they think they can kind of let their guard down a little bit. Um, so they he thought he uh, mentioned things like looking out for exit signs, you know, making sure you know where they're located, making sure that the doorways that they're standing over are uncluttered and clear and will allow for a clear path of exit. Um, and also just looking for things like fire extinguishers and sprinklers and smoke detectors just to make sure that they're there and that hopefully that they'll work if the time comes for it. Right. And I get in the, the catch 22 of that being you don't necessarily know if a sprinkler system works until you need to use that sprinkler system. Um, but checking to, for the presence of one, I guess, is, is a good way to start. Yeah. Has what has uh, the feedback been from uh, people that you spoke to either at DanceSafe or other organizations? What are they saying that that's going to change for them now in the aftermath of this fire? I mean, they all just kind of reacted as we did with with utter shock and horror. They like like they said, no one who goes to these shows ever really thinks about something like this happening to them and t- until it does. Right. Um and yeah, hopefully, as I said, hopefully this means that people will just be more vigilant about about their surroundings. And if they still choose to go to these types of events, that they can take these steps to make sure that, that something like Oakland doesn't doesn't happen again. Right. A lot, lot for us to think about. And we'll have more to talk about a little bit later. Um, but thanks for doing that story. And we'll link to it on um, our socials. Uh, it's in Billboard if you want to check it out now. Um, I tweeted tweeted it. You can also look at my Twitter. Um, in much happier news, the Grammys announced nominees for the 59th annual annual awards. They're going to be handed out in February. Beyonce leads the pack, and she's joined by Adele in the top categories. The dance world was pretty happy with the nominees, with one glaring exception. Who was that glaring exception? Who possibly could that have been? Why don't you tell us? The fucking chain smokers. <laughs> Who not only were in the dance categories, but also for best new artist of the year. Best new artist and also best pop vocal collaboration. Yeah. For Closer, because it was a, a duet between them and Halsey. And Halsey's better than that. We're, America is better than that. But Is it? I mean, really? Like, where we stand today, this I, is a pretty clear indication. I know, of... and I, I said exa- clear indication of everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Alongside uh, the Chainsmokers in Best Dance Recording are Bob Moses for Tearing Me Up, uh, Flume's Never Be Like You, which was a monster hit for him this year, uh, Riton's Rinse and Repeat, and Sophie Tucker's Drinky, which I was kind of surprised by. But... I was surprised but delighted because I love that song. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I, I, I hope it wins. I doubt it will. But that song is like pretty sexy, very danceable, totally delightful, like and a, I said. Yeah, and a normal year, who do you think would win of that group? Mm, I feel like it's going to be Flume. It should be Flume. Yeah, because he's got, like, the cool factor, but that, yeah. you know, like you said, was a monster hit, so. But, um, you know, it's Trump's America, so it'll be the Chainsmokers, and then you just have to accept that and move on. Uh, best Dance Electronic Album, Flume is also in there, alongside Jean-Michel Jarre, kind of a comeback album. I don't know this for sure, certain, but I think he's one of the oldest nominees in this category. He must be. I mean, what is he, like, 60 old 70 No, really? Yeah. 80s? I mean, unless, was Marauder nominated? Yeah, but not at this age. This was a stat that we obviously did not prepare for before we came in here, but I think it's something that's interesting. The young person's genre, an old man is, is up for it. Right. And Underworld, I mean, they're not... 
Underworld. They're not young. They're not young. And but that album is phenomenal. Totally. I hope they win. That's my favorite. I I I kind of think that they're they are up against Tycho for a front runner status. Really? Tycho's epoch was yeah. He's he's a well respected producer. Um, everyone really loves Ghostly. It could be a chance to recognize that label's contributions. That's true. I feel like this album like wasn't breaking the mold in terms of what Tycho does. Totally. He wasn't expanding his sound. It was just like, oh, great, here's more Tycho, which yeah. I, well, everybody loves, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't think anyone expected Louis Vega to be in this short list. No. But, How uh, do you feel? I, good for him. Yeah. Yeah, can't can't deny a legend <laughs> his his birth in, into that into that mix. Uh, the best remixer award is as weird as it ever has been. Um, artists, I'm sorry, but li- literally artists I've never heard of. Are, are, what do we got? Uh, Soul Pacific has a song called Cali Coast. Okay. Have you heard of it? No. It's on a label called Disso Studios. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. up for, okay. uh, for the award. So is a Paul McCartney song remixed by Timo Moss and James Tiege. Um, Bob Moses is uh, Tearing Me Up, remixed by RAC, which is probably a good ch- chance to, to win. For sure. Uh, a Joe Daughter remix of the Chemical Brothers Wide Open. And the Silver Lake Chorus. Do you know who they are? <laughs> Why don't you tell us? I, I actually wrote a story about them years ago. It's like a 30 or 40 person chorus based in Silver Lake. Vocal choir. Vocal choir. Yeah. And they sing these beautiful renditions. They write their own material. They do covers. And it's I it's gorgeous. I haven't heard this remix, so I can't say what they did here. But uh, I imagine it's good because they have very good direction and taste. They're on Six Degrees Records, which is kind of a stalwart of independent, uh, like, globally eclectic music. So that's a good machine to be behind it. But honestly, I think Cascade is up for uh, a remix he did for an artist called Ryax. And... Cascade has been nominated multiple times before, and he's never won. I think this this could be this could be his chance. All right, you love the Grammys. I Just so everyone knows, Zell McCarthy loves the Grammys like as much as his mother. Like this is his season. It oh, is sorry, on. Mom. No, no, no. That's just how much you love the Grammys. <laughs> there, it's so much fun to see the culmination of people's hard work and passion um, being recognized by their peers. That's why I like it. Do you think that anyone was left out? Yes, I think uh, I think that uh, Tiga's album was definitely mm. worthy of inclusion. Mm-hmm. Kate Trinata. Yeah, um, that was a big one. Yeah, and uh, I don't. I mean, I, yeah, there's there definitely were people who were left out. I think also it's hard to say someone's left out when you know that their people haven't really campaigned for them to be included. It's definitely enough of a machine that if you're not playing the game right, then you're not going to be considered. Right, because you have to have your people submit you, right? Like they can't just yeah. like pick you out of thin air. Exactly. If you're not in the running yeah. by someone who's on your team. I mean, I imagine Beyonce's people didn't have to remind the, the Grammys. Well, she's that, got a very well-oiled machine. No, nothing slips past that. You know that. what I missed, mm. or I, I, I wish would have been nominated, uh, is Fortet's remix of Kiss It Better by Rihanna. Yeah, and that that should have been that that could have been a shoe in. I thought that was a shoe in because you know Anti missed some big nominations, but she was sort of like dabbled all over the place in other spaces. So I thought that maybe with that one she would make an appearance. But no. Spoiler alert for later in the show, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you all now. Anti is my album of the year. Really? It's great. Okay. I, I won't give that up. We have a few other little <laughs> oddballs great. to to get in there. I think the biggest offense to anyone nominated this year is the fact that the Chainsmokers are up for for three awards, including Best New Artist. Um, that's just inappropriate. But but I want to like talk more about that because what do you think? Like they they have so much 
um, I don't want to use the word energy, but that's the only one coming to mind. They have so much energy behind them. Do you yeah. think that's what's driving sort of their appearance in that particular category? Yes, and I'll let you all in on a little secret about Best New Artist because some people might have memories that extend beyond this year and recall a time when their song Selfie was a huge radio hit and they performed it on American Idol. The rules for Best New Artist are that an artist is eligible during the year in which they came to prominence. So you can have releases prior to the year that you get nominated for. I don't know what kind of black magic voodoo was being worked by the people at Sony Columbia to make everyone in the nominating process forget that the Chainsmokers were not only prominent in 2014, but they also were on television performing their hit single. Um, they, I don't know why they were considered eligible. Um, well, I'm actually curious yeah. about like the specifications around that because like, Remember Bon Iver won Best New Artist in yeah. what, like 2013, 2014 maybe? Yeah. But it was his second album. And he had had a big album before that that was showing up all over the place. Like how does a person like, you know, sort of pop and then kind of come to prominence in this category there on are, their second album? Yeah, there are very specific rules of what is determined prominence. And that includes sales and charting and major tours and being on a major label. If you go from an indie to a major, then that can be what... what is gets you up for that kind of consideration. Okay. But the Chainsmokers were on another major before with Selfie. They were signed to Republic, which is a universal imprint. They were on American Idol. There's no question about this. They are neither new nor best, certainly not artists. But they do have a very well-oiled machine. Yes. A la Beyonce. Yes. And Columbia, uh, you know, has the most, is the label with the most nominations this year. So uh, including, including Beyonce and Adele. So, did you see that Beyonce was nominated in the rock category? That's right. Yeah, but you know, you've heard that song, right, with Jack White? And uh, kind of one of your favorites, isn't it? My favorite from the album, yeah, by far. You're a Jack, for sure. You're a Jack White fan, big time, forever. Do you think they'll perform that song? Oh man, I hadn't even thought of that. See, this is why the Grammys are good. Everybody it gets exciting <laughs> just even thinking about Sal it. Sal loves the Grammys. I, I we all do, right? Hey, oh, I'll, I'll watch them. Thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Another big reveal came this week with the Resonant Advisor poll. Uh, Crystal, you did a little examination of the poll and broke down uh, well, who was on it and who was not on it. Who was the number one? Who was the winner? Well, um, Mr. Dixon came in first for the fourth year in a row. Is it just like a gimme for him at this point? Is it just like a, like automatic that he's going to be there? You know, there are a lot of people who like Dixon. Yeah. I, I love Dixon. I mean, he's a good, I mean, he seems like a good dude. He, it's, it's. And, and this is a poll that's voted on by readers of Resident Advisor based mm -hmm. on, on DJing specifically, not necessarily about like released albums or like remixes. It is really about the art of the DJ. Yes, correct. Who else was in the top 10? Um, well, starting at number 10, we had the Black Madonna. At number nine, Ben UFO, then Bicep, Ame, Adam Bayer, Solomon, Maceo Plex, Tale of Us, and then Jack Master, who slipped up a couple spots from five last year, I believe. That's pretty good. And this is a breakthrough year for, for a few of them, including Black Madonna. This is her first time this high on the pole. Yeah, and it's really great. Um, she's the only woman in the top 10 this year. Um, and that's, that seems pretty representative of the list as a whole this year, which had eight people in the top one, I mean, eight women in the top 100. Um, I suppose that's maybe a little eyebrow raising, but more so that than the fact that that's 
fewer women than were on the list last year. It's, there, so there are fewer women on the RA Top 100 poll this year than last year. Correct. Who fell off? Um, I'm not sure. I, I didn't go that deep into the analysis. Okay. <laughs> Let me do a little digging around. Well, you, uh, you guys continue your conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it should raise eyebrows, and it's kind of strange that, uh, especially for people um, who are who are readers of Resident Advisor and fans of techno, I, I would imagine consider themselves a little more evolved than perhaps like the readers of the DJ Mag Top 100 who are more concerned with mainstream popularity. Um, yet there doesn't seem to be much more nuance in terms of gender balance there. No, I think it's pretty much, it seems like the same popularity contest, different types of music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And were there... Uh, what about in other term kinds of diversity? What about uh, people of color? How are they represented on this year's list? Um, I mean, my numbers may be a little spotty. I counted 14 at the first go, but it's a little trickier with, with you know, duos. Um, yeah. I counted 14 in the top 100 overall. Um, as for the top 10, that could be, I think, maybe one. Yeah, so pretty pretty light. Um there's, I, I will. I mean, in terms of LGBT representation, uh, Mike Servito jumped onto the list this year. Uh, shout out for him. I, th- I think there are a few others, but it's uh, it's definitely the a white man's party. Yeah, like it or not. Um, we will talk a little bit later about the 808 movie that is out now on Netflix. Uh, you should definitely check it out. I think it's it's must watch uh, for for the holiday season. But Crystal, while we have you here, let's talk about some of the big releases of the year. Um, 2016, for all its faults, had some pretty major debut LPs from a number of artists. Can you give us a rundown of some of the big ones? Sure. I mean, like you said, this was a big year in albums, and it's hard to remember that, you know, we started this year out with debuts from Steve Angelo and Eric Prids. Um, and then we also had albums come in from DJ Snake, from Kygo, from Bauer, from Zoo, and then, you know, some other artists that people may not know as well, such as Jubilee and Anoni. That Jubilee record is fantastic. I'm not as much an endorser of the Anoni album. I, th- I feel like it's very challenging. Um, that's just my opinion. Uh, what about what about some other? Albums that came out this year to much fanfare that we were anticipating. Sure. We had the return of James Blake. Um, we got to see albums from Justin Martin Flume, who kind of went, sophomore slump, what's that? Exactly. Um, we had the return <laughs> of the Avalanches, of Justice, and then uh, just recently, Dead Mouse. Um, I just heard the Dead Mouse album. I think it's great. Yeah. Maybe this, if Dead Mouse, Joel, if you're listening, I think your album's great. Please unblock me from Twitter. It's only fair. Um, but did anyone really care? I mean, there was so much hype around the Avalanches album. Did it really make the impact that people wanted it to? Yeah, I think the question mark on everyone's face says it all. Uh, and Justice. I mean, people were obsessed with them at a time. People were so pumped for this album to come out. Are we going to still be listening to it into 2017? I don't know. I mean, I thought there were some cool tracks on there, but maybe people are just suffering from album fatigue by now. Yeah. Um, and what, what came out that was overlooked or that we should now dig into when we have a little time at the end of the year? Um, well, I mean, this list is kind of my personal opinion, but I think that Craig David's album, his comeback, yes. went largely overlooked here, in, at least here in the U.S. Um, it went number one in the U.K., which was great. Um, but I feel like he should have gotten some love a la 
uh, seven days and fill me in? I mean, I, it brings us all back. It was it was a good <laughs> record. Um, and you said Kay Trinata's album was overlooked, and Kay Trinata said his album was overlooked. Well, I mean, it seemed like he got a lot of press coverage from what I saw, but he, he seemed to be of the opinion that he was overlooked, and I think that was when Rolling Stone came out with their best of list and he wasn't on it. Mm. It's hard to it's hard to sometimes break through to Rolling Stone, but a lot of people have love for that Katra. Hey, I mean it had Craig David on it, like I said. <laughs> yeah. Anything else anything else that must be checked out? Um I'm a fan of Tourist, have been since I saw him in 2013 at Hard Day of the Dead. And I mean, I thought it was just full of really cool gems. I was at that set in 2013. It was phenomenal. And I do, th- I think this album was overlooked. There was a lot of hype going into it and uh, it should not be forgotten. Agreed. Cool. Um, when we come back, we're going to be talking with Kira Judah. This is Don't Kill the Vibe. Your favorite DJs have her number on speed dial, and there's a good reason for it. Kira Judah is the artist relations manager at Vmoda, a brand that has become ubiquitous in DJ booths with its brandable over-the-ear headphones, and it now has a much more portable in-ear option just in time for the holidays. Kira, welcome to Don't Kill the Vibe. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So tell us what you do, because I've said this to you, I think your job sounds like Music industry goals. It, you get to work with all the artists. They are hitting you up for stuff. How does it work? What's your day-to-day like? I mean, I think it changes every single day. Um, basically, what I do is I am the gateway to any artist, anybody in the entertainment industry as a whole. So beyond just DJs, there's also product placement. There's athletes, which is a completely different world. There's events. There's sponsorships. So it really does cover a vast variety of different kind of arenas. But... Day-to-day, it's really just making sure that you're getting our product on the coolest people, making sure that they have everything sorted, that their headphones are functioning, that we're in conversation. So it really is juggling about 350 artists and just keeping in touch with them, knowing what's happening, knowing where they're touring, kind of anticipating their needs, being there, and um, just making it easy for them. And what is it about, like, headphones? Well, what what qualities should people be looking for in their headphones in the first place? I think headphones are a really interesting kind of topic because we've been around for 11 years, so much longer than a lot of these other brands. We're not quite yet a legacy brand, but we're not new on the block by any means. So for us to survive as a company that has about 30 employees worldwide, so we have three offices, one in Hong Kong, one in Milan, which is our design studio, and one in Hollywood, that's really difficult. Think about when Beats came in. five, six, seven years ago, completely changed the game. And we're still here, you know, fighting our little fight in the corner, but actually cultivating a culture. So I think it really is quality over kind of the idea of what a headphone should be. It's being able to use it in different kinds of arenas. So are you on an airplane? Are you on stage? Are you traveling? Are you at your desk? Is it comfortable? Um, How's the sound signature? Is it honest? I think a lot of people have been trained to think that sound quality is supposed to be a certain way, but in reality, do they actually know what proper sound is? And oftentimes, people don't. There's a lot of artists who I look at and have respected for years, and I go to their show, I look at their headphones, and I'm like, whoa, 
what are you doing here? I thought you were this amazing producer, yet you're using something that isn't at all honest and isn't at all functional. So there goes all my respect for you. When you say honest, what does that actually mean in terms of headphones? So for us, our main thing is actually being able to have a sound curve that isn't spiked in a certain part of it to affect a certain genre. So other brands tailor their sound signature to sound good for certain types of sounds. So some are tailored to hip hop. They are much bassier. They sound, you know, good with that genre. Um, Some other brands are tailored to more of like a techno artist and they're actually adjusted so they can hear them in certain kind of parts of the sound signature. For us, it's about keeping it very honest. So you could listen it across genres. You could listen to vocals. You could listen to electronic. You could listen to country. You could listen to rap. Um, And it's supposed to actually sound good across them. And I think they spent about six years in R&D to get that sound signature. And the reason why you would want that is, I'm guessing, so that you know as the producer exactly what's happening and not just like like some listening to something with someone's thumb on the scale type deal. Exactly. It's allowing you to mix in real time and to cue and to know what's actually being projected to the outside but still being honest and clear and you can still hear it. One of the big things for artists is, are the headphones loud enough? I think there's this battle of you have monitors on stage, you have headphones, you have a crowd, it's an abyss of lasers, you have a lot going on. So what are you hearing that you're actually mixing versus what is the crowd hearing? So I think there's also the sense of it has to be super loud but if it's loud and it's skewed in a certain way and it's not good quality, you're actually, you know, really not helping yourself out there. Right. So when you see a DJ who you like and respect, how do you politely tell them, hey, uh, you don't really know what you're doing with your headphones? I, I think I've done this so many times now that it's kind of just comes second nature to me. I think um, when I started in this role, we had about 35 artists that we were working with. Um, The gentleman who did it before me was kind of from a different generation. So it was very hit in sort of those legends of dance music. Um, And all those artists are the people that really did let us go into the genre. They're the people I listened to growing up. But obviously the genre has changed and listeners have changed. So it was about really getting them across thought leaders across genres. So anybody from the Dirty Bird crew to a Pete Tong to a Netsky to a Thomas Jack to a Dave Clark to, I mean, we work with De La Soul now to a Jazzy Jeff. It really is something for everybody. And I think it's just going about it in the right way and being polite, but also knowing your boundaries. Um, I think one of the big things for us is we never pay to play. We never have, so anybody that we work with is not paid to wear our product. So I really think in the past little bit, that's been to our benefit. Where people are coming in with these massive deals, my whole strategy is, okay, let's quickly pivot to the no. You're not going to get any money from us. If you're after money, go somewhere else. Right. What you're going to get with us is quality. You're going to get customization. You're going to get a friendly relationship that is not adding anything to your stress levels. We can anticipate. And the big thing for us is if you think there's a better headphone for you, you should be using it. If we're not the best, you should find what your best is. And as somebody who's like an arbitrator of cool and aficionado of sound, 
as your fans, you should be authentic. You should be using a product that you think is the best. And like I said, if it's not us, go go find something that is. And that money thing, I think, is interesting because a lot of, uh, especially people in this country, you your only source of information about what you should do if you're becoming a DJ is by looking at other DJs. Um, and so you look at, you know, your favorites playing, you see their pictures online, and a lot of times the equipment they have is there because they're being paid to use it. Um, in Europe, I remember I was in France a few years ago, and Bob Sinclair was all over the subways because he was being sponsored, I think, by Sennheiser. Um, and I just thought that was really surprising. Sennheiser is not, in the U.S. at least, known as being a DJ's preferred headphone, uh, but I guess it was for Bob Sinclair because he was a he was modeling them in billboards all over the the underground. <laughs> no shade to Bob Sinclair or Sennheiser. Um, and I think the other thing that really makes us stand out too is the fact that you can customize your headphones. So you can get a logo, a picture. I mean, as a customer, you get free customization when you order through our website. So I've seen just about anything that you could imagine on a headphone on a headphone before. What, what's the most bizarre headphone you've ever seen? <laughs> People get pictures of their kids a lot, which is pretty weird. That is weird. <laughs> it's really weird. Um, anime is a big thing. I don't know. Customers, okay. they like it. I mean, we have a guy who does it who's absolutely incredible. So he does all the laser engraving in-house, and he's really exceptional at making people happy with what they want or making it come to life. I think I want to give people... Uh, headphones with my face on them. Maybe you could send them to the chain smokers. Yeah, that'd be great. And Ed Mask. Maybe they'll unblock you. Yeah. Uh, Joel. So when you're approaching a big artist, what's your first move? Do you, do you make a call? Do you send an email? Do you just send the headphones in the mail and say like, hey, this is what we'd like to to give you and work with you on? How does, how does it work? I think there's a two-pronged approach. It's one, personal taste. So is this somebody who I like, who I follow, who I personally will be a win for me? And then there's also the other side of things is, what is this doing in terms of the company? So I've been able and very fortunate and lucky to kind of infiltrate the agents and the managers and, hey, want some headphones? I got some great new headphones. You're going to love them. They fall in love with them. And then it's just, oh, my client needs headphones. Here you go. They're going to love it. Um, and kind of becomes a tumbleweed on itself to the people who I kind of get excited about and want on my team. I think it's going to their shows, them seeing your face. You know, I have no problem going up there and saying, hey, I work for this great headphone brand. You're going to love them. I'd love for you to try them out. They can be custom. If, if you don't like them, totally cool. But I think you're going to like them. And I've been very lucky that it's worked out in my favor. For for people who are maybe not professionals, what do you think are the elements of a good headphone to look for if you're buying for yourself or giving a gift this holiday season? And yes, I am accepting gifts in case anyone was... Yeah, me too. Yeah, so is Katie. Thank we, you. Well, perfect. Yeah. I brought you guys some, so I came prepared. Oh, thanks, Kara. <laughs> um, I think there's a couple different approaches. I think... One, who are people that you trust who are using them? So from an industry side, is it managers that recommend them? Is it an artist that you see that you love? Is it, you know, placement in something? I then think from like a bedroom DJ, quote unquote, normal person aspect, <laughs> I think reviews are really important. What do people who have actually used them think? Um, getting just kind of the idea of 
what do they have to say about them? And we've been very fortunate that we're actually the number one reviewed headphone on Amazon. I think it's like 100,000 reviewers or so, which is quite a lot. Yeah, seriously. Um, So I think reviews is really important in getting, you know, feedback from somebody who you trust. I think then also design is really important to me. You know, so many brands throw their logo up on there and it's all about them. You're walking billboard for that brand. For us, it's endorse yourself. Be who you are. Yeah. Make this about you. If it's you like your initials, great. If you like butterflies, awesome. If you are a DJ and you want your logo and you want kind of that branding on another level, do it. So it's giving that option to not just stand behind a brand and kind of be, you know, following the trends. It's be who you are and take that into consideration with the products that you choose in the design. And I think last but not least is good customer service. So for us, we have a 90-day test drive period. You don't like them, get your full money back. And that implies for anybody who buys who buys the product through us, wow. yeah. So if you through Amazon, through any of our resellers, through us, you have a full 90 days. If you don't like them for some reason, I don't know, you I don't know why you wouldn't like them. You get your full <laughs> money back, guaranteed. Maybe you've given up the DJ life by day 90 and you're, you're done. You're, you're over it. Yeah. Um, and then also we have a two-year warranty. So that's, you know, anything happens, you can talk to somebody. It's not a robot on the other side. It's <laughs> two people in our office. They handle it all. They'll make sure that you get a replacement or they'll like actually fix yours. And it really is just giving that personal touch to you're talking to a human. So I think just overall good customer service is really important. One thing I feel like we don't talk enough about is the damage that can be done to your ears with, with, I mean, without hearing protection one, and also with listening to music through the wrong kinds of equipment. What, what are the things that people should know just as, as listeners when, when they're, you know, trying to be listeners to the rest of their life and not just until they go deaf. I mean, I'm guilty of if I like the music, I want to be the closest to the speaker as possible. I don't know why, but it's just like a magnetic pull. You so. just want to feel it. Yeah, exactly. I want to be the closest to hear it the loudest. But I think it's just being conscious of what levels you're using it at. Like I found now movies are really loud for me. So oftentimes I'll actually bring earplugs if they're too loud. Um, I think it's training your ears to understand that louder is not always better. And if you're listening through, you know, a proper functioning audio device, you should be able to hear the nuances of the music at any level. It doesn't just have to be blaring. Um, I also think earplugs are so important. You know, there's so many different types of pairs, be it custom or, you know, we have a pair that's $20 that are reusable and they're amazing. And just having them and putting them in your pocket. So they're just there. Um, oftentimes people wear those foam ones and they're not even doing anything. Here's a hack though. I mean, this is probably not doing very much either, but if you're out and you've forgotten any kind of hearing protection, get a napkin from the bar, wad it up and stick it in your ear. You're going to look like a dork, but you're going to protect yourself. Well, does that work? Because you said that the, the styrofoam ones don't work. Well, it's just blocking out different decibels. So ours actually reduce decibels by 12 decibels. So you can have a conversation. I could be blaring in music, but we could still talk. It's blocking out the harmful ones. Those styrofoam ones are just kind of putting like a plug in a bathtub. Mm. You you know? Yeah. Um, So you're not actually blocking out what would be the harmful ones. You're kind of muffling everything. 
Um, Got it. So okay. it is okay. when, when they are tuned to actually be used as earplugs, they're blocking out the harmful ones, but it's still keeping it that you're having a conversation at a normal level. I see. Okay. Not to insult your hacks, though. No, uh, That's hey, a great look, idea. I mean, it's good to know what works and what doesn't work, but I'm just saying, you know, if you're out of other options. Yeah. All right. So add these to your Christmas list. Earplugs for safety and good headphones for fun. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or whatever holiday you celebrate. All right. We'll be right back. This is Don't Kill the Vibe. Days after the tragedy in Oakland, Eric Sharp took to Twitter to express his grief and solidarity for those who were lost. Like so many other artists in electronic music, the scene of a party at an unpermitted warehouse was not unfamiliar to him. Eric joins us now along with journalist and co-founder of Black Circle Media, Jamal Kawaja, to talk about what the ghost ship fire means for electronic music and artist communities going forward. Hey guys. Hello. Hey. Thanks for being with us. And Kara and Crystal are with us as well. Everybody's here. Uh, the, the people that you're listening to have all been to parties like the one uh, at Ghost Ship in Oakland. Um, Eric, let's start with you. What were your first thoughts when you heard about what happened last week? I don't know what my first thoughts were, but it hit me really hard personally. Uh, I was heavily involved in the warehouse party scene in San Francisco when I lived there from 2003 to 2012. Uh, I knew one of the DJs that... Um, was killed in the fire. Uh, I had worked with her and done a party with her. Uh, I don't know how many parties I have attended uh, or organized at spaces uh, just like the the Ghost Ship Warehouse. And uh, and for a time uh, in 2005, I actually lived in a converted uh, warehouse space in the Tenderloin neighborhood of San Francisco. So it it, it hit me on a lot of levels, and obviously um, a lot of compassion for the victims, a lot of compassion for the families. Uh, and, and, and the community was all grieving together. My Facebook feed was just flooded with people reacting and responding to what had happened. Um, and then also, I, I mean, I felt really guilty because it's something that as an organizer of those events and an attendee of those events, I never even considered. I never considered worst case scenarios. And so I thought about how many thousands of people I personally had put at risk um, and, and had never really given a, a deep thought to that. So, you know, I, I felt some guilt around that and um you know and then and then one of the things i remarked in in my posting about this is just that anytime there's there's a loss um it puts me in touch with just the temporary nature of our experience here on this planet and uh, how precious life is and how we truly just never know uh you know something can happen so quickly um and and can bring this to to an end so um for me it's always like a reminder and a wake-up call to to try to be present and be conscious um you know because every moment is very, very uh, precious and could be the last one we have. You you mentioned that you would never imagine this as the worst case scenario, but certainly when you've planned events, you have thought about what could possibly happen and what kinds of safety steps, if any, need to be taken. What, what do you think the mindset has been for not just yourself, but the community in general prior to this? I really think a lot of the people that are organizing smaller underground events aren't necessarily equipped or trained to be 
thinking about those things. We don't know anything, or I did, I can just speak from my own experience, right? When I was organizing these warehouse parties in my 20s, uh, I didn't know anything about fire safety, fire code. Um, it wasn't something when I would walk through a venue, I wouldn't be thinking about where are the exits, are there enough exits, what's the capacity. Uh, those things weren't really going through my mind. That's why I said, I mean, I felt really guilty. I felt very irresponsible uh, in light of, of this happening. Um, and, and it's, in retrospect, it's kind of incredible that this is the first time something of this scale has happened. And it was really, really fortunate, um, as, as terrible as as the tragedy was, it's very lucky for everybody involved that it happened at 11.30 p.m. Because at an underground party, uh, only the diehards that are super supportive of the exact community and DJs are there at that hour. Uh, the bulk of the party shows up at, you know, 1, 1.30 a.m. Uh, they come from somewhere else. And, you know, if that had if that fire had happened at 2 o'clock a.m. or 2.30 a.m., it would have been a lot more loss of life and a lot more tragic. When you're operating in a legal gray area, uh, I think promoters try to cut every corner they can, and most of them never think of that sort of thing. Uh, and, you, you know, there's worst-case scenarios, and then there's situations that are in which it's an, it's an eventuality. I'm looking at pictures inside. It looked like the inside of a ship, everything was wooden. And I think the worst part was that the party was on the second floor, accessible only through a, a stairwell made of wooden pallets, which is basically a tinderbox if any fire goes off. Um, so I think that sort of situation is more likely in, in the Bay Area where like squatty sort of communes are a little, little more common than they are in Los Angeles, for example. Um, but uh, it seems like a matter of time before that sort of thing happens. It's not even, I don't think safety is a concern. At all. Well, actually, what do you think? I mean, of Derek Almeida's performance on the Today Show, did you buy what he said? Did you think he actually put some time into thinking about the safety of, of people? I have to say, I don't, I don't know if anyone, so I watched the Today Show because I, I like to get up early and get a blast of news, but, uh, or, or what is news there? Um, I think he was a man completely unprepared for everything in this scenario. I think he he was not prepared to be on television, even though he had been giving had been giving uh, interviews, including to NBC News. He I don't think he understood um, what it is that is going to be asked of him, which is answers, and um, at least for some understanding from his part of what contributed to what happened. Um, he was deeply apologetic, but he was also in incredible anguish. And I don't think that anyone in his position would be willing to accept responsibility, even if, you know, even if it was only partly his to take. Um, it, it, was, it was brutal. I've never seen anything like I've never seen an interview like that. He was desperately trying to end it, but he kept talking. Um, and both Matt Lauer and Tamron Hall kept trying to ask him questions, but he, I don't know if it was his earpiece or if he was just ignoring them, but he kept going and saying he didn't want to answer these questions. He didn't want to be doing this. And of course this was live on the East coast. So it was like 4am here in California. And I can only imagine he has had minimal sleep since the fire had happened by the time he was standing in front of that camera. Um, it was, it was wretched to watch it was, I, I would rather be trampled on by the parents of the kids who died to answer these questions yeah. I think is what he said uh, and I, I think that's a terrible thing to say too I mean I, I, like the parents of the people who who died aren't It's it, it just seemed like a very self-centered response yeah I got that vibe from him as well he's and, been panned pretty hard by a lot of people in the community for how he responded I think people need someone to blame I don't know the guy at all. I'm not to stand up for him, but 
people took a post he made on Facebook and ran with it. And, and, and the language he used was, and supposedly it was before he knew that there was a loss of life. Maybe that's true. Maybe it wasn't. But the language he used is, everything I've worked for is gone. And everyone seemed to take that to mean all he cares about is his material things. And, and I thought that was a misconstruing of, of his actual words. And um, I think people have been extremely harsh with him. Uh, so I can, I was not surprised by his reaction to the questioning. And it seemed like his problems with the framing of the question. And, and I could see why he would feel that way. Um, I don't know if people are, are necessarily being fair. Of course he's going to be held accountable. Of course he's going to be held accountable legally. Why I do you say why do you say that? Why do I think he's going to be held accountable yeah. legally? Uh, as the person who had the lease on the space, uh, who likely I don't know if there was a contract with the promoter, but he would most likely be the person meeting with the promoter, right. taking their deposit. Um, that's going to make him culpable. And and as the leaseholder, there's another layer to this too, which is that it was it, it's not just the event space aspect. This was a residential dwelling that was not zoned to be one. And whether the owner had knowledge of that or not, they're never going to admit that they would have had knowledge of that. They're going to say, we rented him this space as a commercial warehouse space, not as a place to live and to throw parties. So they're not going to claim any responsibility. Why would they? Uh, Kira and Jamal, you guys both live downtown. Not in, you, you live in regulated places where you're allowed to live. But uh, downtown Los Angeles does have some warehouses. What do you guys know about, are there similar situations like this? Um, is it possible for there to be an unpermitted residence in, in cities like LA? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But, um, just thinking of most of the warehouse parties that I've been to in, in memory, most of them are on the ground floor and most of them have a very easy, large in, in and out process. I think the problem was that people got trapped there yeah. and, uh, choked on smoke before they could even find an exit. So I, I think in, in that sense, the problem, what, what happened at the ghost ship is more limited to, like I said, where, where people are living, uh, where there's lots of people living in a small space. Uh, th that doesn't really seem to happen at lots of the warehouse parties in LA, but I don't expect the media or authorities to make that differentiation. The, the question now becomes uh, how much, how responsible are we for policing ourselves and how much pushback uh, are, are we going to give uh, the police or authorities when the hammer does eventually fall and they start you know, rounding up warehouse parties again with, with more fervor than they ever had before. I mean, they never really had this sort of justification. I mean, is this not a good justification, though, to, to crack down? What can we say? Yeah, it spaces? is. I mean, it is. 40, almost 40 people died. That's great. That's terrible. Yeah. And what can we even say to that? I mean, I understand that we have a need to sort of exercise this, this culture that we're a part of. But when it's, when, when, it's that, when it's that life or death, when it's that existential, I mean, there's, there's really nothing you can say. Yeah. The, uh, an architect who I know um, was very harsh in his criticism of this. And he said, you know, when you see illegal construction or you're in a space that you suspect is unsafe, you can actually report it. And there's a reason why we have building permits. And if you can't afford your building permit, you can't afford your space. Well, I mean, just to add another layer, uh, there, there's a big issue with gentrification here because... In Oakland, that used to be a place where artists who couldn't afford to live in San Francisco would go to live cheaply. And right. artists can't afford to live in Oakland anymore. And I think that's why you're seeing spaces like this where you have all of these people living illegally, paying $500 a month to rent an RV 
because no one afford, can afford to live in these places that are that are zoned, you know. And when they take these warehouses and they turn them into lofts, it totally outprices anyone that was going to live there before, you know. So it's like, obviously, this is a tragedy. There's no excuse for it. But there's a reason why all those people were living in there. Yeah. What do you think? I, what is there an obligation that we all have collectively to to provide spaces like this or is it kind of a fend for yourself kind of situation find what you can if you can afford it you can afford it. if you can't you have to live somewhere else i mean ideally yeah i mean we're discussing how the government of oakland has now put in place a 1.7 million dollar grant to uh to provide affordable spaces for for places like the ghost ship but in an ideal world world yes the government would help find spaces for us to do this sort of thing but look at the political situation that we're in it's only going to get worse and i do not expect that that to come around and the underground you know we're like cockroaches man even if you shut down every party there will be more uh I think I do believe that there will be a closer eye on safety, at least like basic level stuff that perhaps had been overlooked in this instance. But um, the fact that you can now, you know, call call someone and say that the party's unsafe and have it shut down is a problem. The last time there was sort of a rash of of closures of underground parties in LA, it was because promoters were basically snitching each other out. This gives now the added sort of Damocles of like death hanging over them. It's going to be even worse. I mean, it doesn't really bode well for what has been the current paradigm of warehouse parties perhaps things will change and we'll party somewhere else in the desert <laughs> outside but why are i mean spot. why what is it about warehouse parties that need to be maintained uh, uh, i mean i'm not i'm not saying they shouldn't be but i think that you know there needs to be an articulated defense of them if that's something that that's going to I mean, be. articulated to who? I could say very honestly, a big dark place for people to be weird and play strange music and take drugs. I mean, I think that's an important, uh, it plays an important cultural role, but try telling that to City Hall, you know. Could you say that without <laughs> the drugs part? Uh, yeah, but no, I mean. But you wouldn't be honest. <laughs> I think people who feel marginalized by the mainstream and it's interesting how the music has shifted in that uh, dance music started as just a, a niche. It started by people that were queer and people of color and it was not mainstream at all uh you know it grew out of disco in a time when disco records have been lit on fire in chicago so i think people that wouldn't feel comfortable in a club environment where now if you go out to hear dance music uh it's every stripe of the mainstream uh, i think reed speed had an amazing quote which was a lot of the dance music parties now are filled with the people I got into dance music to get away from. Right. Uh, so, Reed Speed's a, a breaks DJ. She's awesome. Check her out. So I, I think, I think, that's part of why these spaces are are important and the function that they serve. So I guess the question is, how can we serve that demographic? How can we give people a safe place to be together and to express themselves? Uh, whether it's through their artistry or through dancing, uh, in a way that, that is safe, uh, that is still outside the mainstream. I think that's what the onus is on us as a scene to, to figure out. Because if it's simply, you know, the situation that it's been, which is if you're not trying to do anything mainstream, you find whatever space you can and you're sort of desperate for them. And the minute you get an in on a space, you go after it because you don't have a lot of options. I think that needs to shift to a place where if we're going to make things safer, 
there there needs to be something provided for that. But then there's also the there's there's the revenue problem too. I mean, I think another reason a lot of people throw underground parties is because they don't have to deal with liquor licensing. They're keeping the door and the bar, which gives you a much better possibility of breaking even or making a little little bit of money than uh, you know simply having a situation where you are applying for permits. Uh, you're charging a fee, and then if you're trying to sell alcohol, it's a catering license. I mean, a big draw to the underground scene is that people sell alcohol after 2 a.m. Well, don't you also think that the sort of spooky uh, darkness of going into the, the abandoned parts of town is part of the excitement of it as well? I mean, it's part of part of the the ritual almost. Kind of, that's one that I think people grow out of. I know I did. I mean, I loved going to those spooky dark places, and you go to one place, and you get the directions to the next place, and then at the third place, you can park your car, and then there's an <laughs> escort to walk you through a field, and then you knock on the door a certain way, and... Enter at, a portal to a different dimension. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. But then sometimes you're like, I kind of would like to be able to wash my hands in the in the men's room after, uh, you know, at the end of the night. It's like, it's... There's a, there's I think a, an evolution that perhaps happens in the experience. Well, where do you where do you start going after that then? <laughs> then I go to, to mainstream clubs. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry guys, um, Kira. What I'm curious, what kind of feedback you've heard, especially from artists, um, maybe even around that that alcohol issue, because I think that's one that, you know, in California there's a 2 a.m. cutoff time that is different in places all over the states. In Europe, obviously, it's it's usually much later than four o'clock even, but. Well, I think it's also the underground scene here is very much so about it being a more refined palette. Um, it's more of a community and it took me a long time to even be admitted into it from going from a dance music fan to working in it to actually being accepted in it. It's kind of like, hey, I see you at the party. Okay, I see you at this party. Okay, I see you at this party. Now you get like a head nod, okay. I see that you're around. You must be here to stay. So it's almost like the sub-genre community within it where, okay, you all following the mainstream and over here, we each have an opinion. We're part of this community. And when you're in it, it takes it to the underground. The other side of things that I think personally as a girl who works in the industry is I spend a lot of time in nightclubs and I spend a lot of time in the booth with the artist because I don't necessarily always feel safe in a nightclub around guys who I don't know. I'm by myself. I'm going to you know deliver headphones somewhere. I want to go in and out. If I'm on the dance floor enjoying the music, I'm chances are people are going to come up and talk to me. I, I'm, it's not a safe place for me to feel necessarily always good. When I'm at a warehouse party, I can just walk through the door. I can enjoy the music. I can be in the crowd. So you know, is it that you want to bring people from backstage into the crowd or is it that you want to go to a warehouse party where you can just kind of everybody be one and equal so it's kind of yeah there's something like really democratic about a warehouse party and it's i've never been to one where someone's there trying to like pick up chicks or something like that people are really truly there for the music you're a lucky man <laughs> Wait, where are you saying that like the warehouse parties you play are just like single scenes? I haven't been playing warehouse parties in a long time, unfortunately. But I, what I saw in San Francisco was it started off as that niche, really cool community. And yeah. then people saw that there was money to be made there. And a lot of promoters that had nothing to do with that underground scene started organizing the events and started infiltrating them. And uh, it, it, I mean, San Francisco happens to be a very small city, but that scene yeah. shifted very quickly. And, you know, the parties definitely filled up with the same patrons who were in the clubs, you know, would leave the club 
clubs and come to the warehouse parties and definitely be trying to pick people up and right. do whatever it was they were doing. Yeah. And that's kind of, I mean, that's, that's, I think I've experienced that in other places too, where it's like the, well, there's a show on MTV right now called Wonderland that, uh, that has some like official space downtown LA where they showcase new music, but they sell the show as something that's underground, warehouse, alternative, things you never heard before. And so when I think in a way the the burgeoning underground music scene in the US has has already started to be kind of co-opted by mainstream culture. I don't know, but what is is there a positive that can come out of all this? You know, we're we're still in the grief period. There's still mourning to be done. Families are still figuring out what's happened. But is there something that we can we can turn into into a benefit, into a, a positive direction for Yeah, unless you really want to go out to warehouse parties, you're probably not gonna go out for a few months. So <laughs> Oh wait, so you're saying like oh yeah, it's gonna filter out the the hangers on. You're truly dedicated to yeah. Wow, it's dark, Jamile. It's been dark. <laughs> well I think we'll see communities come together. Um you know, as Jamile mentioned uh, you know, the the rash of L.A. Br- warehouse breakups that happened were because promoters were snitching on each other, for lack of a better phrase. But um, we've seen promoters and other members of the community come together online and create, um, you know, a place where they can find resources such as building assistance, harm, uh, venue harm reduction tips, um, project assistance, just finding ways to um, to keep their to keep their venue safe. Harm reduction is interesting because we've mostly talked about that. Um, and Jamal, the last time you were on the show, we were discussing it in the context of drugs. Do you does what do people think about harm reduction becoming now something that includes venue safety? I think it's an, it's inevitable. Like, yeah. how can you not, given the circumstances? I've never been a person that has walked into a club and considered an exit strategy, <laughs> but because of this, I now will. You know, and that's just a harsh reality. But I think that. Um, a lot of people are going to have that kind of stuff in their mind. And not just a figurative exit strategy, because that's usually what I go with. Like, <laughs> when can I a dog sick. make a polite exactly. ghost? I'm tired. <laughs> my Uber's here. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have to check on something. I'll be back. Because a lot of these parties operate in a legal gray area, we do have a responsibility to police ourselves, because we don't want the police to be there. Right. So mm-hmm. if anybody's going to take care of us, it has to be ourselves. Well, and I think that's why you found a lot of these communities to be so close-knit previously to this, because excuse me, like in terms of drugs and harm reduction, people really take care of each other because no one wants the cops to come and no one wants anyone to get hurt. Right. So I think it's going to sort of up the ante on people sort of taking care of each other and themselves in in a different way. Yeah, let's hope it does. Um, Any other final thoughts on this? It's, it was really sad. It's so sad. <laughs> oh God! It's and, overwhelming. And such, yeah. and such a loss of of incredible talent too. I, yeah. mean, I don't know how familiar people are with the artists that um, you know perished in, in that party. Uh, Chirushi and and Nax being the ones that most people I know have been talking about, but they're phenomenally talented. Mm-hmm. It's really really sad that you know we won't get to hear anything else. Yeah, it's a shame it took me until now to listen to their music, but at least yeah. I'm doing it. Yeah, and it's good. That's one thing I think that can be done if you feel like. You, you can't donate any money to uh, the relief funds, of which there are several. Um, listen to the music of the artists who uh, who were lost. It's a good tribute to them, and it's a nice legacy that they have. Yeah, and support burgeoning acts. Support local, underground, independent artists. Yeah. Yeah, so that they don't have to play in venues where there are, like, milk crates stacked up on 
against the wall to get to a second floor. Makeshift stairways out of fire pallets. Yeah. Um, Shall we move on to more uh, amusing topics? Yes. Please. Yes. We talked a little bit about the Grammy nominations earlier. I'm curious from everybody else. Uh, real quick, any uh, any odds on favorites to win? You could collect the droppings <laughs> of Donald Trump's cat, blend it up into a nice puree, and, and pour it into a shot glass. Do you really think that? And I think it would have more cultural relevance than Grammy nominations. Did you just nominate Breitbart? Jamal <laughs> 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 Khawaja of the alt left. <laughs> I'm the alt alt. The alt. Okay, 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 okay. Give us a little more on that. Why? I mean, who why? cares about a bunch of stuffy, stuffy people who don't really even care? Think. I mean, it's just irrelevant. You would understand you, what, that the Grammys is an organization of recording artists. Go that, on. That vote on. Sure, but most of them are uh, are not connected to this very specific world of dance music at all. It's recording artists, sure, but it's also, you know, recording professionals that extend as far as, like, country and classical and, and pe- people who would never even think think of dance music as a thing beyond the chain smokers. I think it's interesting to use the word relevant. Uh, Madonna gave an interview that was out this week. She's Billboard magazine's Woman of the Year, and she said, pointedly, relevance is a catchphrase that people throw out because we live in a world full of discrimination. Am I relevant as a female in the society that hates women? Well, to people who are not educated and are not chauvinists or misogynists, then yes. Uh, the last time I thought about Madonna was her trying to twerk on stage with Ariana Grande, and before that, it was her doing something else embarrassing on stage, trying to seem cool with a much younger woman. Which I think woman, just so. kind of proves her point. Your your policing of Madonna's behavior as a woman of a certain age. Uh, no, she could be she could be twelve or thirty, and it would still be lame. I'm a woman, and I watched that video, and. I- it, it killed the vibe, let's say, in our local parlance. It wasn't cool. What about her non-consensual makeout with Drake? Look, I'm just saying. Also not cool. Triggered. Killed the vibe. Triggered. The, the way we the way we use the word relevant maybe uh, is is you know subjective sure. to, to cool, way... interesting, worthy of my time. Has the word relevant lost relevance? I'm just I'm just I, I I'm I like the Grammys because I like to see what from our world that we do like manages to bubble up. Actually, yeah, you know anything. what? The nomination is actually pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm being a little extremist here, but I, I was actually uh, happier than I have been in previous years with what, what, what came up. You know, Bob Moses might be a little milk toast for my take, for my liking, but uh, you know, they're fine. I was uh, happy. Hang on, I'm going to call you out because you loved Bob Moses like not that long ago. Uh, so. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, they don't, they don't only really last through listens. All their songs tend to sound the same, and it's like. Mid- middling deep house uh, made by guys who look like boy band rejects. <laughs> that could, that could also describe uh, the chain smokers, but um, middling deep house. <laughs> oh, I meant the boy band rejects part. <laughs> oh boy! No, I think he's just talking about middling deep house being one of those oxymorons because it has to be middling to exist. Is that what you're trying to say, Eric? I'll just let Jamal speak for me for the rest of the interview. <laughs> what about the RA poll? Did anyone uh, see any glaring omissions? Anyone they were really excited about who made a big year for themselves there? Um, I, mean, I think it's just people forget it's subjective. It's who's actually getting on their computer and voting. Like, what industry people do you know that actually submit votes? Did like anybody right. in this room actually vote? It's funny that it's a populist vote for the underground, which, yeah. again, is a weird sort of oxymoron thing. Right. I, I don't vote. I'm not a citizen of resident advisor. <laughs> but it's, you, are not you know, it, people complain about it, but they're not participating and moving the needle in whatever way. I'll tell you what, you go to that list, there's a bunch of amazing DJs on there. If you if you use if you use that as 
uh, a source of who should I listen to, you'll find tons of great music. I actually don't even mind that list at all. I think it's I think it's good. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think there's just an extra step that one has to take when voting in the RA polls, unlike other polls. I think for RA, you have to have actually um, said that you've seen the DJ according to their listings. You have to have said that you'd attended the event. And I think that's why the 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 poll skews so international. I think I I think I read somewhere on Twitter that um, America American DJs accounted for only thirteen of the top one hundred. I'm pretty sure the demographic of users at Resident Advisor heavily skews European. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can see it in the list as well. Yes, their traffic does too. Um, beyond the RA poll and beyond the Grammy nominations, what was everyone's favorite music from 2016? Eric, we'll start with you. I'm super pumped on Rufus. I think Rufus is incredible. I don't know how they didn't get any Grammy noms. That's they're, true. They're amazing. The Rufus's team probably didn't push them for them, but what what is it about about the Rufus Dussault body of work that, that I love on? sitting and listening to their music. I think the lyrics are great. I think the melodies are great. I think the chord progressions are great, and the music works in a private party setting when people are having cocktail conversation, and it works in the club. So <laughs> versatile. Yes, yeah, it's good yeah. hand holding music too. <laughs> Okay. Radio had light at times. <laughs> also, also uh, Muramasa blows ah. my mind and, and is incredible as well. Kara, what about you? Um, I really like this band called HVOB. <laughs> I've been following them for a really long time. They played it for their future to like one of their biggest audiences. And I mean, they're amazing. If you haven't heard them, you should definitely check them out. Nice. Any... HVOB. Her voice over boys. Oh, okay. Now, were you at Further Future? I was. What? That... That uh, that festival got m- some negative reviews from me. From somebody that's just, you know, <laughs> but yeah. I'm curious, how does that rank in the pantheon of festivals that you went to this year? I mean, I'll admit right up front, I stayed at the Mandarin Oriental. I didn't stay on site. <laughs> I went back. I showered. I had room service. Girl, I was I at the Vidara. You think yeah. I was camping out there in the desert? Um, <laughs> I think there was some really great music. I didn't have very high expectations of this is what I expect it to be. I kind of went with the flow and every person that I met or every music that I heard that was good kind of was, oh, that was a good thing. I'm interested to see how it progresses. I'm not much of a Burning Man girl, so this is as close as I kind of will get to roughing it. Yeah. I've, yeah, that was as far. I'm not going to rough it like that again. Zell, I want to say, just to go on a tangent here, I was on a panel in Vegas on Monday, and uh, we were talking about covering festivals. And one of the questions was, well, what happens when your festival gets a bad review? And yours was held up <laughs> as the benchmark of just the most scathing possibility that a festival could ever He's encounter. so happy right now. <laughs> never seen Zell McCarthy I'm, smile like this. I'm happy, but I'm also a little scared. I feel like I might need to go into hiding after no, this. No, 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 no. I actually, like, I, I defended you in a way that I thought was Thank you, effective. Please. Yes. Thank you. Yes. All right. But I feel like for the future, like Dead Mouths. Dead Mouse probably has me blocked on some. Certainly. Yeah, probably. Forever. Jamal, your favorite music of the year? Uh, well, I actually saw HVB over the weekend in Mexico, uh, and immediately preceding them, yeah, it was a festival called Tropico. Uh, immediately preceding them was a band called, not an act, an act called Polo and Pen. Uh, they're from France. They're French-American. I can, I can try and describe their music to you, but it's just going to sound like journalism, like babbling <laughs> shit. It was like French touch with like bossa nova beats and like these girls came on stage and were like speaking in tongues and it was like... What, what like like just a dead language? Like what, what do you mean I, speaking in tongues? Like making weird sounds. Like, <laughs> it's That's hard awesome. To, yeah, and, had, and then it all sort of devolved into this sort of demonic circus vibe and the guy started playing piccolo and like I was, I was really into it. They're just like droogs. <laughs> 
that's what it takes to get me off musically at this point. It's just like a full on bells and whistles. Like, <laughs> um, I'm not gonna ask what you were on, but I assume it was something. <laughs> no <Yes>. answer. <laughs> Crystal, your favorites from 2016. Um, I mean, honestly, my favorite albums kind of skewed outside dance music. Go for it. I really enjoyed Bruno Mars' album. Some great funk Bruno influences. Great. Totally. I like Bruno Mars. Um, I enjoyed Anderson Pack. Uh, yes. Malibu, and then his uh, album with uh, Knowledge No Worries called Yes, as they're both called No Worries, called Yes Loud. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed Tourist and Catronada, and not so much an album, but I really enjoyed that uh, Lo-Fi House got a, a big look in terms of media coverage this year. It really did. It was a good alternative to, like, the bangers that I think we've all gotten really sick of. Yeah. Katie, how about you? I'm going to be cliche Katie, and I'm going to say that I really enjoyed Nicholas Jar's album. Yeah? Yeah, I did. And and it got better for me every time, because I think we talked about this. The first time and I listened- And you were not the biggest fan. I wasn't a big fan, and I was disappointed, but it got better, and then I saw him live, and it just like all kind of crystallized for me. So there was that, and then for me, Beyonce, of course. Really? I love that album, and I love Formation. Okay. I'm a big Beyonce fan from a long time, yeah. you know, like from the original. Like Bills, Bills, Bills. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And so that, and then Radiohead. Okay. I my I said it earlier. Anti Rihanna's record. I think it was phenomenal. I would put Formation up against Anti if the rest of Lemonade sounded like Formation. But I I don't really listen to the rest of Lemonade. It's kind of dull for me. Okay. Sorry. Okay. But I love the Katra record and I love Tourist and uh, yeah. I think I you know I think that. The uh, the big festival thing is going to be pretty much over, over a year from now. Yeah. So that's that's I'm, I agree. Yeah, if you went to a big festival in 2016, you were in its dying days. What other things from this year can go fuck themselves for next year? It was a rough year in a lot of ways. Oof. DJs with stupid headgear. You mean like? <laughs> You're right. You mean like my friend Dead Mouse? Um, I guess he gets grandfathered in because he's been around for so long, so he gets passed. But uh, you know, the rash of the guy with popcorn in his head, this guy is a slushy, this guy is marshmallow. It's just like the complete infantilization of EDM. And in a way, it's good because it just there's certain people that want to be reduced to thumb sucking idiots, and like for them, it does it does the trick, and it like corrals them all off into the part of the festival where you don't have to go, like the kids zone. Uh, but really, the safe space. <laughs> is there like a ball pit at this kid's zone? <laughs> like a trampoline, a bouncy castle? Um, uh, why not? You know, that's what they want. If there's a DJ who wants to wear a bouncy castle on his head, <laughs> if or it would her have head. to be full size to get our respect. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm not. I don't want like a miniature bouncy castle headgear piece. Yeah. What other things can we say goodbye to for the year? Mm. I'd like to say goodbye to uh, tragedies at clubs. Uh, you know, the two biggest that in recent memory happened in 2016 um, at Pulse in Orlando in June. And then, you know, last week in Oakland at the Ghost Ship. And it, it has a really uh, chilling effect on the great things that can come out of nightlife when those things happen. Obviously, very different kinds of tragedies, very different kinds of uh, loss. But... Uh, but, you know, loss is loss to, to, to someone experiencing it. There was actually another, another tragedy today that I don't think anybody's even picked up on. Uh, the, the, the man who performed the, the greatest uh, synth pop song to ever come out of Pakistan uh, was in a plane crash 
uh, and died last night. It's a song called Dil Dil Pakistan, and it's been adopted as the uh, sort of unofficial national anthem. And if you if you find any people from my country, they'll uh, they'll get really emotional if you start talking about the song. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. I think nobody uh, seems to care, but you know, since Pop in Pakistan is just like two songs. <laughs> you know, I don't think that nobody cares. I think that just people are less aware than we should be about the the Pakistani synth pop scene. I guess some tra- tragedies are more privileged than others. You and your cousins in Kerala. Do you want to? Do you want to sing a little? Uh, I think you should play it on the outro. <laughs> we'll try to get the rights and and lock it all down. Um, is there anything someone's looking for? People are looking forward to next year got to be better than this one right looking forward to not having american electoral politics happening that really divided people even amongst friends <laughs> definitely Thanks. just sneezed on air in case you're wondering what that was and again, again bless you that was uh that was uh jamal kawaja sneezing out the the bad vibes of 2016 <laughs> you know, he actually ma- learned it during that show the other night it was a ritual <laughs> how, how many times this year gesture. have we said okay well it has to be done now uh, this all, all this, this sort of cavalcade of tragedies, but it's not going to stop. It's, honestly, I think that it's not going to stop. I think that we're in for a year that's probably just going to be, this is a new normal. 2017 won't be any worse, but probably won't be any better. Than what does it mean, though? What does it all mean? You guys, I don't know. This but... is getting existential, <laughs> but you... <laughs> you make your own meaning, right? I mean, I think you can take any of these things and, and use them to make your life more meaningful in a way that makes sense for you. And I think the great thing about... Uh, about loving music is that it connects you to people who also love music and to people who have passion and commitment to things and, and be a part of a community uh, that's, you know, in these days connected digitally as much as in an IRL setting. Right, right. And in IRL, it also creates really visceral present moments where you're not thinking about all of the bullshit that's going on in the world. You're just like dancing or screaming along or singing in your car. And like, that's a beautiful thing. People need that. A lot of people are saying that there's going to be really great art in reaction to some of the darker things that are happening. And we'll see if that's the case or not. I know some of my favorite uh, songs from older eras are in resistance and and with a cause. I don't know if those will bubble through now the way that they did then um, based on, you know, who's pulling the levers of what, songs blow up um, at this point, but uh, I think people will try to to make art that uh, can be dissident, which could be exciting. Here's hoping. Thanks, you guys, for joining us. Thank you. Don't Kill the Vibe is recorded live in Los Angeles at the Network Studios. Our executive producer is Alex Munoz. Andrew Conde is our audio engineer. Chris Rodriguez holds down the news and music. Our theme music today is Diana Boss's Simple Girl. And thank you to our guests, Kira Judah, Jamal Kawaja, and Eric Sharp. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DKTV Podcast. Listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or YouTube. And keep in touch at DontKillTheVibe.com. Thank you for listening. We wish you all a very happy holiday season and a great start to 2017. Until next year, Don't, don't Kill, kill the, the Vibe. vibe.